Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes, this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And those trials, they develop our character, and we're going to talk more about it. Thank you, Rebecca and Kim. And that song, I was doing a little bit of, a re of research. Who wrote that song? There's a lady by the name, by the name Laura Story. And the story behind the song, her husband was sick for a while. He had brain, a brain tumor. And as she prayed along the years, she felt like God was not answering. God was just silent. And she started penning down these words, powerful words of this song, Blessings. So it's one of my favorite songs. And the message in that song is very encouraging. Each time I get into trials and tribulations, when I sing or when I listen to that song, it's a, it's a huge blessing. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you have given us to open your word. We want to pray that your word may be a source of encouragement to us this morning, that we may be able to press on and advance the battle to the gate and help us to learn, retain, and apply everything that we are going to learn. And we pray, Lord, that we may be able to see that we are living in the last days and that we may prepare for your soon coming. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so for uh, the title for this, uh, for this sermon this morning comes from the book Life Sketches of Ellen White, page 441. Um, it says, advance, 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 press the battle to the gate. So here's the full quotation. It says here, in the course of a conversation held December 2, 1914, which was um, a few months before Ellen White died in 1915, July of 1915. So she referred to an incident that occurred many years before. A certain brother had expressed discouragement over the prospect of the extended, extended and difficult work that would need to be done before the world could be prepared for the second advent of Christ. Another brother, one of large faith, turned to him, his face white with strong emotion, and said, Brother, do you permit such a prospect to bring discouragement? Do you not know that God would have us press the battle to the gate? Do you not know he would have us labor on and labor on and on and on, knowing that Victory lies ahead. It was early in December 1914, also that she testified of hearing voices in the night season crying out, advance, 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 Pray, press the battle to the gate. Life Sketches of Ellen White, page 441, paragraph 1. So I recommend you and I encourage you to read the book Life Sketches of Ellen White especially the last days, uh, this chapter is, is titled The Last Sickness. And you can see that God was with her throughout her entire life. But at the end of her life, she was re reflecting on several different things that had happened in the work, and she found encouragement in the promises of God. And it is in these times that she would hear words of encouragement, including that statement, advance and press the battle to the gate. So this is the, my appeal this morning that do not give up. Advance and press the battle to the gate. Today, we're going to be talking about trials and the reason why trials come into our lives. And the purpose and the goal, of, my goal and my purpose this morning is for God to speak through me. So pray for me whilst I speak so that one person or many people in this congregation or those who are listening online will be able to be encouraged not to give up, but to press the battle to the gate. A familiar verse, let us turn our Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. We're going to read verse 2 to verse 4. It says here, 
My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into how many trials? Into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Are you following? Are you following with me? Let me do that one more time. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So is it always easy to count it all joy or to be joyous when we are in different trials, in various trials? No. But James here is saying count it, which the, the original word that was translated can also be translated to say reckon it that way or see it that way or take a different lens on these things. He's saying count it all joy. But... The other thing that will help us to count it all joy when we are in trials and tribulations, something that I would like you to remember, is to look at the end goal, to look at the result. Why is God bringing me through these trials and tribulations? He gives us an answer in that same verse. He says, the trying of your faith produces patience. So why is patience very important in our spiritual walk? There are many character traits that we may have in our spiritual walk with Christ, but why is it that James actually points out patience? We find the answer in the book Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. It says here, talking about the remnant people of God who are going to be living in these unprecedented times, in these exciting times of the end times. He says here, John writing, he says, here is the patience of the, of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. So patience is going to be very important because when we are going, if God allows us, whilst we are still alive, to go through the time of Jacob's trouble, patience is one of the key character traits that is going to help us to endure the trial. Because at some point it will feel like God has forsaken us, and it will feel like God, Jesus, is lingering and is not coming to deliver us. So it is going to require a lot of patience to go through the, the final time of trouble. But before we get there, God gives us opportunities for us to do a dress rehearsal with various trials and temptations that come our way. You remember in the book of Job, let's read it. It says here in Job chapter 23, verse 10, Job knew the end goal. You know, the story of Job has encouraged a lot of people around the world. Way back and even now and even in the future. And we know that Job, reading, it, reading the story of Job, I don't know, I don't want to underestimate any of your trials, but I don't know if there is anyone in the congregation this morning who has had the trials that are similar to Job in that short space of time. Losing your family, losing everything, and your friends coming to condemn you, and even your wife saying, curse God so that you can die. I don't know, probably there is somebody that I don't know, but this was too much. But listen to what this man of God says. He says, but he knows the way that I, I take. When he has tested me or tried me, I shall come forth as what? As gold. I shall come forth, forth as gold. Gold represents the character of God. That's why you see in the sanctuary, most of the furniture, most of the pieces of furniture that was in the sanctuary were overlain by gold, which represents the, the character of God. There's another person in the Bible uh, before we get there, there's another person in the Bible, Joseph. I didn't put the slide here. So we're going to turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 50, if you can go with me there. And we're going to read from verse 19 to verse 20 and even 21. There's another character in the Bible. His name is Joseph. He understood the reason why trials had to come in his life. So whilst you're getting there, you know the trials that Joseph went through being rejected by his brothers, being sold to Egypt, and also being tried there and being accused of, of, of something that he did not do, ending up in prison, innocent man, but God ended up elevating him. 
So this is the time when Jacob had died and his brothers re were recollecting and reflecting on what they had done to Joseph. And they were feeling guilty and they were feeling afraid as well. They were thinking that this man, this young man is going to revenge. They were wrong. And they actually devised a plan. Let's go to Joseph and, and uh, give him this lie. What did they say to Joseph? Our father, before he died, he said, you must forgive us. I don't know if uh, Joseph picked it up that they were lying, but listen to what Joseph said. This is incredible. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Joseph is saying it is, it is the work of God to avenge the injustices that have been done into our lives. He is the one that is going to bring vengeance to all those who bring evil things in our lives. Because the Bible says in the book of Matthew, for it needs be that offenses come, which means trials, but woe unto him by which their offenses come. So I don't want to, to leave a picture of the other extreme whereby people just go and carelessly offend people and say, you need this for your spiritual growth. That's not what the Bible says. It's saying, if you do that, God is going to give you your reward, which is his punishment. But let's, let's go on and read verse 20. Joseph says here, but as for you, referring to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for, for good, in order that many people in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Verse 21. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke with them kindly. So Joseph understands, and when he's looking back where he, is, where he was at this point in time, he sees why God had led him each step of the way and why God had allowed each and every single trial to come his way. Although he allowed, God allowed his brothers to be part of, of uh, the trials that were brought to him, but Joseph is saying, no, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You have just been used as an instrument by Satan, and God allowed it to happen. But now I understand. I have a bigger picture. I understand the goal. So this is the reason why I am in this position, in this place, through the vehicle of trials that, uh, that Satan used you to bring in my life and that God turned it to good. So, beloved, I want you to understand this morning. When trials are allowed to come into your life, God has a reason and a purpose to save many people alive. You never know where your testimony is going to be, where your testimony is going to go. You never know the person that is going to be brought into your life whom you might impact because God gave you strength and you overcame. God wants to use you to show people of his glory and his character, and he wants to refine you that when you come out, you will be like, like gold and fit for his service. Let's read what the Pen of Inspiration says, Minister of Healing 470, paragraph 2. She says, To live such a life, to exert such an influence, talking about the Word of God, costs at every step effort, self-sacrifice, discipline. It is because they do not understand this that many are so easily discouraged in the Christian life. Many who sincerely consecrate their lives to God's service, are surprised and disappointed to find themselves as never before confronted by obstacles and beset by trials and perplexities. You know, a lot of times we think that, oh, I have given my life to Christ, and then life is going to be as smooth as I think it will be. And sometimes we think that because we are so faithful, nothing that will come as trials will come into my life. We are so faithful, we are even health reformers, we eat right, we dress right, we do our devotions every morning, but we end up with some kind of disease that you're thinking, Lord, why in the world have you allowed this disease to come my way? Maybe you're battling with cancer, 
you're in this, you're in this congregation or watching online. Maybe you're battling with, a, with an autoimmune disease, but you've been faithful. Every single step of the way you've been faithful. You are an Adventist of Adventists. But you're saying, why is it that all these things are happening to me? Let's read on. They pray for Christ-likeness of character, for a fitness for the Lord's work, and they are placed in circumstances that seem to call forth all the evil of their nature. So you see, the reason why God wants to show you where work needs to be done in your character. And she goes on to say, faults are reviewed of which they did not even suspect the existence. Like Israel of old, they question if God is leading, why do all these things come to us? Are you tempted by Satan to ask the same question? If God is there, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is leading me, why are all these things coming my way? You are tempted by Satan to ask the same question. But here we are given the reason why these things are, are happening to God's people. Because God wants to show you where you've been and where you are now and where you need to be. Let's read on. The same book, Ministry of Healing, page 471, paragraph 1. She goes on to say, It is because... God is leading them that these things come upon them. Trials and obstacles are the Lord's chosen methods of discipline and his appointed conditions of success. He actually appointed trials and tribulations and obstacles for your success. So God is saying, hey, it's time to change the lens that you look at life and circumstances. Time to change those lenses. Time to see things as God sees them. Time to see circumstances and situations as God sees them. Let's read on. It says here, He who reads the hearts of men knows their characters better than they themselves know them. He sees that some have powers and susceptibilities which rightly directed might be used in the advancement of his work. In his providence, in his what? In his providence, he brings these persons into different, into different positions and varied circumstances that they may discover in their character the defects which have been concealed from their own knowledge. He gives them opportunity to correct these defects and to fit themselves for his service. Often he permits the fires of affliction to assail them that they may be purified. So a lot of times we miss these opportunities because we are murmuring and complaining. Instead of trying to see what God is doing in your life, you are actually blocking God from doing it. Have you ever been praying for patience? We, we talked about patience. Praying for patience. Lord, give me patience. And time comes when you think that I've made so much progress on patience. So what does God use to show you where you are? God uses a situation. Somebody borrows something from you and they never returned it. Are you going to be patient with that person? Or some kind of a delay comes in your life. You've been praying for this thing. You start praying for something and it doesn't come and God seems as if he's silent. God brings a situation to show you where you have been and where you are and what you need to do. And praise God, other circumstances, they, they show you that you have actually made progress and you are actually patient. But you can only know where you are when a circumstance arises for you to exercise that character trait that God is teaching you. Let's say you have been praying for temper. Lord, take away my temper. I get so mad easily. I want to be like you, Jesus. And how do you know that that temper is gone? It takes a brother or a sister, comes, literally steps on your toe, and they walk away and they never say, I'm sorry or I apologize. You know, sometimes you're tempted to say, if it was before Christ in my BC days, I could have dealt with you. Or if we were not at church, I could have told if, if it wasn't a Sabbath, I could have told you things that will, will put you in place. Seriously, Christian? 
or someone cuts you in traffic and you honk, like, all the way for like 30 seconds for them to know that they've done something wrong. That situation, it doesn't mean that the other person is justified. Because, as I said, it says, for it needs be that offenses come, but woe unto him by, by which the offenses by which the offenses come. God is going to deal with that other person. But you yourself, you need to have a different mindset so that you can grow in Christ. God wants to develop your character. That is the reason why he brings all these trials and tribulations. Let's see what, uh, what Peter says. Peter says here, Beloved, do not think it strange, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though something strange, of, or those, uh, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of who is suffering, Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed because people, they don't see things the way Christ sees them. But on your part, he is glorified in your trials. Verse 15, I want to focus on verse 15 because all those three verses, they reiterate what we have talked about. It says here, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So there are some kinds of suffering that come as a consequence of some things that we are not walking, walking on the right path with God like some of the things that are mentioned here. So it's not all suffering that is suffering for Christ, but these sufferings as well that come as a consequence, God will be chastening you so that you can be able to repent. But don't deliberately break the principles of God and say, okay, this consequence has come, so it's because God is, is chastising me, that's why I have to rejoice in the suffering. But you can rejoice as well, but I'm just saying there's some kinds of suffering that we bring upon ourselves. If you are in a situation that is bringing you to this kind of suffering, you ought to repent and seek the Lord so that every single thing that is leading you to this kind of suffering will be taken away from your life. It says here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, though he was a son, Yet he learned obedience by the things which he, he suffered. So if you remember from the previous verse, it talked about the glory of God, or the glory of Jesus when he's going to come for the second time. So I was thinking, what connection does trials have to do with the glory of God? And if you go to the book of Exodus, you find Moses when the glory of God was revealed. What did Moses say? He said, God, God, you are long-suffering, and he goes on to, to tell us of the attributes of God's character. So here Hebrews is saying, though he was a son, though Jesus was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He's talking about the cross. But let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have to learn obedience? Was Jesus even disobedient? So what does this verse mean? Because Luke 2, verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in pleasing God and man, and he pleased God his whole entire life. My beloved, Jesus was giving us an example how to subdue this fleshly body to the will of God. Because in another verse, he says, Behold, I have set an example for you that you have to follow. Jesus was not baptized because he had to repent from some sin, but Jesus was baptized because he was giving us an example and he was being prepared for his work. So here, Jesus learned obedience 
for us to be able to learn from him so that we know that it is possible to put this body under the control of the power of God. Have you ever felt lonely? When he was on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, do you remember the words that Jesus said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know, I don't know what you're going through, my dear brothers and sisters. Sometimes you go through things that you, you, don't, you don't even find the strength to share with another person. But remember, even Jesus on the cross, he felt like God himself had even forsaken him. But did God forsake him? No. Even in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus even said, Lord, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. But he said those words that gave us hope, but let your will be, be done. So I want to share with you why it feels like everybody has forsaken you when you're in trials. Why it feels like you are lonely and sometimes God does it deliberately that he stops people even to come in your life when you're going some of, uh, through some of these things. You may say, Pastor Michael, is that even the gospel? Yes, it is. Let's read on this, um, this quotation. It says here, in the fullness of day, and in the hearing of the music of other voices, the bird will not sing the song that his master seeks to teach him. He learns a snatch of this and a trill of that, but never a separate and entire melody. But the master covers the cage and places it where the bird will listen to the one song he is to sing. In the dark, he tries and tries again to sing that song until it is learned. And he breaks forth in perfect melody. Then the bird is brought forth. And ever after, he can sing that song in the light. Thus God deals with his children. He has a song to teach us. And when we have learned it amid the shadows of affliction, we can sing it ever afterwards. Isn't this a beautiful expl explanation of why sometimes life feels lonely when you're in trials and tribulations? And when you know this, you're going to approach trials with a different lens. Are there many voices in our world today? There are a lot of voices. Turn on the news. There is so much that is overwhelming. There is a lot of voices in this world. A lot of voices in our families. A lot of voices in our church congregations. People have different views on different things. So when God is trying to teach you something, when God is trying to teach you this song, there is competing voices that are coming, even the voice of Satan himself. Competing voices. So what? God in his mercy... He separates you aside. He puts you in this cage. Beloved, you have different cages. I don't know what your cage is like. But he covers it dark. Does life feel dark, dark sometimes? Yes, it does. But he has a reason and a purpose. He sings that song. He sings that song. He sings it day and night until you get it. Until you get it. My personal experience with COVID there's some things that I took for granted in my life. I thought that I ought to have these things because I'm a human being. One of them is appetite. You never, you never understand the importance of appetite until you lose it. When you see all the food there, but you cannot eat it, it doesn't smell good. When you smell, your taste, everything is gone. You start thinking, these are things that I took for granted. Or sometimes, you cannot even do anything for yourself. And you have to be helped by someone and carried by someone to do the basic things that you knew how to do. In those moments, that's when you learn the song of being grateful of the little things that God has given you in your life. That's when you learn how to appreciate some of the people that are in your life.
Because Jesus wants to teach you that song. That's when you learn not to maimer and to complain. Those who have been in trying times, they don't complain about a lot of things. They know that these are privileges God has given into my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, God says through his apostle Paul, no temptation has overtaken you except such is common to, to men. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So the Bible is saying here, God is saying, there's no new thing under the sun. It is Satan who wants to magnify it to such an extent that he tells you that this has never been an experience of anyone. It's only you and God is not there for you. Look, you've been faithful all these years. God is not there. But you remember in the book Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, let us run this journey of faith, putting aside every weight of sin, and focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But at the beginning of that verse, he says, we have a cloud of what? Of witnesses. That cloud of witnesses is a group of people in the Bible, in the history of the Christian church, in the history of our denomination, or even friends and relatives that have gone through the same situation that you're going through. And that cloud of witness is there, my friends, to give us encouragement and hope and trust in Jesus. There are people that have gone through what you're going through. And if you go on to, to, to read that verse, it says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Does it seem that way when you're going through trials? And sometimes we actually do fall into, into the trials and say, oh, I give up. But God will not allow, allow you to go through something that is beyond your strength and the strength that he's going to give you. Let's take, let's take a look at the story of Job. You remember that conversation between Job and God. Job comes, uh, Satan comes and says, Job obeys you because of all these things that you have done to him and you have given him. God says no, and he asks, Satan asks to, to, to go and tempt Job. And God removed the first layer of protection that he had, he had surrounded Job and allowed Satan to go and do some things. He took his, uh, his, his, his family, he took his property. And Satan came back because Job didn't give up and came back and said, can you allow me to do a little more? This time he's going he's gonna to curse you. And he went, God actually allowed him. And he went and he touched his body and he had leprosy. You see, my friends, God knew that Job could handle this. But he made it, he made it a point to make, to, to, to make it clear to Satan that don't end his life. Do not touch his life. So, my friends, God himself, he knows what we can bear. He knows the weight of trials that we can go through. But why does it seem that, why does it seem like when we fail that this was beyond my power and my strength? In my own reflection, I think the reason why we fail is because we are not using the right tools. When we fall, when we get into trials and tribulations, we are not claiming God's promises. Or probably might say, Pastor, I'm claiming God's promises. But God wants you to go a step further, to actually believe and live those promises. Because sometimes we claim God's promises and we think to fulfill those promises by ourselves. God wants to do a work in our hearts. Will we let him do this work in our hearts? There hath no temptation. The last part, I love it. Did you see the last part? Let me go to the previous slide. But with the temptation, we'll also make the way of what? Of escape. It's, it's one package. 
When God brings the, 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 the trials, he actually has a way out. You know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, before they even sinned, the plan of redemption was, was, was there way ahead of time before Adam and Eve even sinned. This is how God does things. He plans ahead of time. But oftentimes we miss it because we are complaining and murmuring and not seeing what God wants to teach us. Let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to verse 16. The Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our, our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without, without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's a song in our hymn now which says, which is more like a question, does Jesus care when I'm going through all these things? And that song gives the answer to that question. It says, oh yes, he does what? He cares. And he actually understands. I don't think there's any human being that went through, that will go through an experience that is close to what Christ went through. He even understands more than you do. And he said to the disciples, Lord, I am going to be with you. I am with you till the end. And Jesus wants to be with you this morning. Listen to what she says, Minister of Healing, page 563, paragraph 1. It says here, the gospel is a wonderful what? Simplifier of life's problems. Its instruction heeded would make plain many a perplexity and save us from many an error. It teaches us to est estimate things at their true value and to give the most effort to the things of greatest worth, the things that will endure. The true value of things. To see things the right way and not to allow Satan to magnify the things that we go through. And the reason why our lives are so complicated, you see, is because we don't leave the gospel. We don't eat the gospel and we don't have the gospel in our hearts. Or we don't go all the way to surrender. Because you remember Jesus said, come unto me ye who are laden. And I will give you what? I will give you rest. So Jesus wants to give you rest. And the only way he's going to give you rest is when you take the gospel, which is Jesus Christ crucified and surrendering to him. And he's going to give you that rest. And you know when he lives in you, you have that blessed hope. You know we lose our loved ones. And we grieve. And Jesus gives us the promises. But you know, the choice is ours to actually allow him to work in our hearts to give, him, to give us that comfort that he promised. I also lost my dad last year in the, in the month of August. It was a time of reflection because I always prayed, Lord, let my dad live so that he can be able to see the milestones that I'll achieve. Or maybe later, if you linger, he may be also able to see his grandkids as well. But God allowed him to rest. You know, we will never fully know why God allows some things to happen in our lives. Some things, we'll understand them later by and by. But he gives us a window of a little bit of understanding because of his promises. We know that he is growing our faith. He is developing our characters. And he wants to see us home. Look at this verse. I love this chapter. It's actually a scripture song. It says, For God, for it is the God who commanded, who commanded the light to shine out of what? Out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
but we, we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of, not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Do you see the reason why we get into trials according to this verse? He's saying that the glory of God will not be of, of us, but of him. Do you know when everything is going good, when there is no obstacles, we tend to take all the credit that is supposed to be given to God to ourselves. But when you have an obstacle that you don't know how things are going to work, when actually God comes through with a miracle, and that thing actually works out, and it, it becomes a success, you know for sure that there was no way you could have done this. There was no way you could have made yourself well. You give the glory to who? To God. The hymn writer says, To God be the glory, great things he had done. We learn to give credit where it's due because it is God who does things through us. We do make commissioner work. I am heavily involved with the immersion program. There's sometimes that you're tempted to say, oh, it is because of the knowledge that I have for the natural remedies that this person got well. No. Sometimes God actually brings people to die in our hands so that they will die peacefully. So that they will have the hope. We don't give people immortality. Whilst we are on this side of the planet, people are still going to die if God lingers to come. When myself, even yourself, might rest in Jesus. But is it not an answer to prayer that someone had to be laid to rest? No, it's not. It's not because we didn't pray with, with, with faith. No, it's not. It is because God has seen it fit for some people to rest in our hands because there is hope. They are going to be exposed to the gospel. They are going to be exposed to the love of the people that are going to take care of them and they will sleep and rest peacefully in Jesus. Amen? So let us not cry as people who don't have hope. We have this blessed hope. Verse 16 and verse 18, it says, Therefore, we do not, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Oh man, I love this part. I love this verse. Because sometimes we see ourselves deteriorating, getting old, and aging. But you know what? Our faith inside us is getting renewed day and day and day. When all those aches and pains that come with age do come, do not be discouraged. This body is going to be renewed and God is going to give us a new body. But she says the only thing that we are going to take to heaven is character. That's the only thing that we're going to take to heaven. So our faith and our character is being renewed day after day. For our light affliction, which is but for a, for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what's going to give you strength and power is to look at eternal things. That's going to give you joy. My friends, you remember, God in the book of Isaiah, I think it's chapter 55, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways are your ways. As high as the heavens are from the planet earth, that's how high my thoughts are from your thoughts. So God sees the bigger picture. He, stays, he lives outside our timeline. He knows the past, the present, and the future. We only know a portion of the past, and we only know a portion of the present because I don't know what's happening at, my, at our house right now. I only know what's happening at this moment where I am. So our minds are very limited. We completely don't know the future unless God reveals it to us. So why not give him the opportunity to run your life? His thoughts are higher than 
our thoughts? Why not ask him, Lord, give me a bigger picture of why this happened in my life? Why not ask him? I must tell Jesus, I think we sang that song, I must tell Jesus of all my, my sorrows and my trials. And the hymn writer that wrote the song, What a Friend in Jesus, I think it's John Scriven. He has a stanza there where he says, what, Oh, what needless pain we bear because we do not take everything to God in prayer. God wants to do a great work in your life. We are renewed day by day, although we seem deteriorating on, on the on the, on the outward. It says here, Minister of Healing, page 500, paragraph 3, men of power are those who have been what? Who have been opposed, baffled, and thwarted. By calling their energies into action, the obstacle they meet prove to them positive blessings. They gain self-reliance, conflict and perplexity, call for the excise of trust in God and for that firmness which develops power. I don't know what you're going through. Probably your name has been tarnished, maybe at work, probably in the church. You're watching right now on the live stream. You're done with church. You're saying because there are so many people who do not profess, who, who do not practice what they, what they preach or what they teach. You're about to leave the church. But you know what? Those who have been opposed, baffled, and thwarted, do you see that language? It's like we're hard-pressed on every side. These people, she's saying, they must renew their energies. I don't know what you're going through. Probably your marriage is deteriorating. People don't know what's going, what's going on in your house. And you cannot even share with other people because you are afraid of what they're going to say. You're just hanging in there because you, of the picture that you want to portray to other people. But the love has waxed cold. I want to tell you, my brother and my sister, that Jesus wants to renew that marriage. Will you let him do it? Probably you have kids that are not in the church. You've been praying day and night. And you're losing your strength. Jesus will do great things. Do not give up. Maybe you just lost your job for standing for what you know is right. And you feel lonely. Jesus is there for you. Don't be tempted by Satan. He may tempt you, but don't allow him to succeed and make you believe that Jesus has left you. I don't know what you're going through. You might be sick. You might be battling a disease that you think this is it. It is only going to be it when God says it is it. But when he has not said that, it's game on. Advance, 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 and press the battle to the gate. God is with you. Let's see what she says in, uh, on page four, 497, paragraph 2. Men of stamina are wanted. Men who will not wait to have their way smoothed and every obstacle removed. Men who inspire with fresh zeal the fledging efforts of dispirited workers. Men whose hearts are warm with Christian love and whose hands are strong to do their master's work. So, this reminds me of a verse in, um, in Philippians. Paul says, let this mind be in you which was in in Christ Jesus. So, if the mind that was in Christ Jesus is in you, God is going to do a transplant. He's going to uproot that fleshly mind and give you the mind of Jesus. And you remember the verse that I talked about that his thoughts are higher. So, if you have the mind of Jesus, your thoughts are going to be higher than, than the world. And they're going to see you smiling and they're going to see you happy going through what you're going through, and they're going to think you're out of your mind. And when they say, are you out of your mind, don't be offended. You should say, yes, I am out of my mind because the mind of Jesus is in me. Because Jesus wants you to be, to be at peace and comforted every step of the way. My favorite passage, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Paul is not asking to, for, for, for someone to actually come and, and try and do this. He's just giving you this question to make you see that there is no one who can do this. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, lack of resources and money, you might be in a financial crisis right now, or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come, no height, no depth, no any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Nothing. Nothing. Men can shape circumstances, but circumstances should not be allowed to shape the man. We should seize upon circumstances as instruments by which to work, we are to master them, but should not permit them to master us. This is the indomitableness that was in Christ. And he said, I have given you an example so that you also can do the same thing. No matter what you're going through, I don't know what you're going through, but probably you are about to give up on faith, about to give up on God, about to give up on life, I want to tell you, Jesus today, the reason why he made you hear all these promises, all this explanation, all these quotations, is because he loves you. He wants to renew your faith today. As we are going to be singing the closing song, Onward Christian Soldiers, I want you to be paying attention to the words. The last verse is one of my favorites. It says, Onward then ye people, join our happy throng, Blend with us your voices in the triumphant song, singing glory, praise, and honor unto Christ our King. So before we sing it, you remember Moses and Elijah. They made two prayers, one each. Moses prayed that God would let him go into Canaan, and God said no. And he even said, God even said to Moses, don't bring this up again. And Moses died. And Elijah, whilst running from Jezebel, he became suicidal pretty much. He said, Lord, please take my life. I'm the only one who's standing for you right now. Did God grant that prayer? He said, no, you're going to heaven alive. So you have someone who prayed for life and God allowed him to rest. And you have someone who prayed to die, and God kept him alive. But you see those two people on the Mount of Transfiguration comforting Jesus, Moses and Elijah. So it might seem that God is not answering your, your prayer, but God is actually answering your prayer in a different way. So onward, advance, 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 and press the battle to the gate. Let us stand and let's sing Onward, Christian Soldiers. <laughs>